Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. Hello he. Hello you. <laughs> Are you well yeah, again? Very, very good. Good. Um, That's what we like to hear. A bit spooked out. Ooh. <laughs> it's almost Halloween. My daughters are so excited about Halloween. Yeah. So we're doing Halloween today, aren't we? Halloween, ha- yes. Halloween. 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 Anyway. Where were we? Histories of the Unexpected is the show that demonstrates that everything, even the most unexpected of subjects, has a history. Like heads, beds and weds, ponds, fronds and blondes. <laughs> nice. And that everything links together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, that the history of buildings is in fact all about privacy, slighting, ghosts, secrets, power, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, the French Revolution. It's about World War II, World War I, China, Africa, Venezuela, Nairobi, London, <laughs> Paris, France. In fact, it's about the history of everything. It is. We, um, slighting was one of my favourite things. We did that in the history of we Berlin, did. which is we ridiculous. Did. It was so very good. Slighting did. is, um, uh, destroying castles. Yeah, on purpose, but not completely removing them from the landscape, so no. making it look like so they, they remain visibly destroyed. Anyway, we do two things. One is that we do the history of things that you didn't expect to have a history, and the other is we take a well-known subject and then we try and come at it from a weird angle. And so today we're going to be doing that. We're going to be doing Halloween. It's all about love, Halloween. <laughs> in fact, it is. It's totally all about love. People make the mistake to think that Halloween is, in fact, a pagan festival. <gasps> You couldn't be further from the truth. No. It is, in fact, a, a Christian festival, medieval festival. It was all to do with all those souls that sort of went off to purgatory. Um, and then the Reformation came along. So it's all about the Reformation and stopped all of that. And then it was reinvented, reinvented in largely the 1970s and 1980s. But there were certain games that were around the 19th century that um, people used around Halloween time um, to tell them who they were going to marry. Okay. Would you like to hear some of them? So it's about games and fate and love. Games and fate and love. Now, uh, since we're near Christmas, I want to do a plug for a brilliant book that I got a few Christmases ago called The English Year, a month-by-month guide to the nation's customs and festivals from May Day to Mischief Night by... A historian called Steve Rowd. It's absolutely incredible. And he's got a series of examples here of games that were played on Halloween. 
And one of my favourite is a game that involved apples. What sort of period is this? We're talking about 19th century here. Oh, okay. uh, 18, 1825 mm. and beyond. And there was a tradition, um, a Mrs. Hook in, um, a Mrs. Hook of Chumley in Devon, age 70, told me in May 1998, Sorry, in May 1938, that in her young days, it was the custom on all Halloween to pare apples, then whirl the peel three times round your head and then throw it over your left shoulder to the floor. The letter formed on the floor by the apple peel would be the initial of the future husband or wife. Mrs. Hook assured me that her apple peel always formed the letter J and she eventually married jack hook and there are various other games uh that people used including putting peanuts on a putting little nuts on a shovel and putting them in the fire and if the nuts dance together that's uh, then, cool. then you would be you'd be um not dancing not dancing you would be um you'd be meeting somebody and if they went apart then it, you, you know it wouldn't wouldn't work we should do that we should read the nuts What's combing it? combing your hair in a mirror at midnight, the person who you are about to marry appears behind you. Did you know that? No, that's an, another cool one. What kind of nuts? What Don't. kind of peanuts? Just peanuts? Nuts. Two nuts, it says. Two nuts. Two nuts, for example, would be chosen to represent two potential lovers and placed side by side on the fire shovel over the flames of a fire. The future romantic potential for the couple could be gauged by whether the heated nuts jumped apart or drew together. Right, I want to do that. We're going to do that yeah. next. We're going to do a live uh, nut dancing thing yes. uh, for our next... Um... So, so Halloween is not all about ghosties and ghoulies. Halloween is, in fact, all about love. Oh. I blame Walmart <laughs> for, for Halloween. Okay, I'm going to be going uh, into the realms of fear and terror. Which I'm excited about. Oh, good. That being uh, what what Halloween is about for so many people. You walk down the high street, there are lots of um, scary-looking masks and things. So I thought we'd we'd look into the history of emotions and terror. Oh, excellent. Um, now, those of you who've been lucky enough to come and see our live show will know that we do talk about this a little bit. And, um, and we conduct a little experiment. And we're going to do something similar now. There's this guy called Guillaume Duchesne who was a um, scientist. Uh, but he could also have been a poet. He called. He talked about the gymnastics of the soul, and he mm. believed that emotions were linked. Lovely phrase to specific muscles in the face, and so he went about proving this by electrocuting people in the face and taking photographs. And we it. we have a picture of his his of the device that he used. Yeah, so the to device, electrocute people. It looks a bit like a uh, it's a kind of a bent knitting needle. So he's got it's about as long as a knitting needle, curved at the end with a um, sort of some kind of conducting material. It looks like a blob of blue tack on the yes. end. He's got two of them, and he is attaching these electrical probes to the face of a Ooh. bald man. And it's all wired up to a big, big wooden box yeah. with a cylinder on it, which presumably generates the electric current. Now, if he wants to electrocute more than one part of the face or more than two parts of the face because he's got two hands and each hand has a poker then he gets a an assistant who comes in and then attaches two more probes to this this poor man's face we know that the guy in these experiments um 
uh, had had something wrong with the nerves in his face. So although it looks incredibly painful, apparently he wasn't hurt in the in the um, creation of this. So we're going to go through this now. This is this is this is all good fun, and um, it is a project which was sent up set up by the University of Cambridge, and I would recommend you all go on to could it. Our, could our listeners play along? With it. Yeah, so if you're near a computer, go on to darwinproject.ac.uk and then click on do the do the experiment. Emotion experiment. So you get a photograph taken by Duchenne, who he believed this photograph with him uh, electrocuting a man's face in a certain way displayed a very specific emotion. Now, the connection with Darwin, you may be asking yourself, why is the connection with Darwin? Darwin took this very seriously and used Duchenne's photographs for his own experiments. He invited a group of people around to dinner and then showed them these experiments and asked them to identify what emotions that they showed. So this is what we are going to do right now. Because it is linked with Halloween and there are some very important scary facial exactly. expressions. So you go onto darwinproject.ac.uk, University of Cambridge website, and then you click uh, about a third of the way down on the sort of pinky purple button that says Start Darwin Emotions. Now you ha- are presented with a photograph. Um, James, describe this photograph. <laughs> it is a bald man who has hair down one side and he looks like he is smiling. His Does. face is like this. Gonna, that doesn't show very well. Um, I'm going to go grinning. What I think about emotion, I'm going to say happy. happiness. Okay. Happy. That's what I'm saying I'm as say well. Happy. The answer to that is actually laughter. Laughter. Well, that would, that would do. Oh, now uh, this takes us to emotion two. Yeah, and we wanted this one. So he's looking slightly. His assistant is doing it this time. This guy with a kind of a weird sort of looks like a Jesuit cap. Isn't it? Um, he looks quite menacing. Yeah, he is now attaching probes to the eyebrows of Ooh. this man, whose entire face of his head is has raised <laughs> about three inches. Um, I'm going to go with. Um, I'm going to go with surprise, surprise or shock. Um, well, they're very similar, aren't they? Yeah. That one, surprise and horror. That one offering. is surprise. Surprise. Okay, so the next one. This is when we get a bit Halloweeny, right? So. In this extraordinary oh. one, he is a man standing behind him with two probes attached to the top of his eyebrows, oh. which is making all of the skin on his face crinkle up. Meanwhile, there's another man who is electrocuting the bottom of his chin. This has made his eyes bulge, his nose kind of, the skin on his nose stretch, and his mouth open in a toothless grimace. Stan Laurel. Imagine a Stan Laurel face where he's going... Yeah. And, and he is clearly... Shocked. Uh, Shocked or terrified? I'm going to Shocked. go ter- ter- mm. terrified. You probably Extreme know. What, you terror. probably know what you probably know what this this is. So know. I'm going to copy you. Oh, okay. No, I'm actually right. I'm, I'm remembering, but that one is terror. I'm going to go terror. So this terrified. Is, this is the Halloween link. So if you want to um, actually look at a 19th century scientific explanation of what terror looks like, it's this. The next one. Um, this guy has got. Probes on his chin and on one eyebrow. <laughs> he doesn't look happy. Is he unhappy here? Yeah. Uh, sad? Sad. Let's try sad. Um, and that one is despair and despair. grief. Or, um, oh, my word. That looks... He looks shocked here. Distressed. So he's got, he's got uh, the probes on the bottom of his chin as well, which is opening his mouth. Um, but he's got two probes on the inside of his eyebrows which is making his face kind of pinch and um 
all of the muscles stand out on his neck. So that's a bit similar to the other one, which was terror. Are you sure he wasn't being he wasn't being hurt during these experiments? Because he <laughs> looks he looks like he's being hurt. He looks it, fright with agony. Yeah, agony, torture, and fright. It, it, that's what that's the answer. It is agony, torture, and fright. Oh my god! And all together. So so what Duchenne's doing here is he thinks he's mixing them up. So I know that um, he's done terror, but agony, torture, and fright all at one. But that is another classic. Halloween expression. That's a 19th century view of what fear looked like. Um, <laughs> then these ones, uh, let's move on to this next one, which is suffering. Um, suffering. Suffering number six, seven, eight. So skip a couple, I skip think. Skip a couple, okay. Yeah. Um, let's do that. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, which one are we on now? Number Which eight. emotion? Number eight. Uh, so it's with the... It's with the man... You can see both of them together. Uh, Duchenne's there with one probe onto the right eyebrow. So this is how scientific Duchenne got about it. He's got one electric probe and he has attached it to the top right eyebrow of this man. And uh, this is this depicts suffering. He certainly um, looks like he's suffering. Yeah, and then we've got a couple more mixed ones. The next one's really interesting. It looks a bit like Clint Eastwood. Does it? This next one, this one here, um, a different man, different model, big moustache, uh, lovely <laughs> lovely thick hair. That's not just grief, that's deep grief. So, deep grief? Yeah, he's looking very troubled. He's got a couple of deep lines in his forehead, and it, he's not being electrocuted, I've just realised. No. So this maybe is an actor or someone who has been asked to display deep grief unless Duchenne has picked him up because he is suffering from deep grief and then he's taken a photograph of him. I'd love to know the answer. Um let's finish with this last one, last one because this is um this is this is a a, a common uh, horror image I've actually seen around. So you've got the electrocuting of the chin to open the mouth, you've got probes Ooh. left Ooh. and right on Gosh. his eyebrows, you've got one round the back of the neck and that one is fright with agony. Oh, <laughs> that looks painful. <laughs> anyway, the point here, of course, is that um, Duchenne believed that emotions, whether they be, be, be complex or simple, were linked with specific muscles in the face. And Darwin took uh, Duchenne's experiments, um, and he actually wrote a book called The Expression of Emotions in Man and Animals, which was after the origin of the species. Um, and he managed to prove that this was not actually the case and that emotions are far more complex than simply just being a way of uh, engaging certain muscles in the face which is why halloween is all about uh, duchenne and darwin good good halloween is in fact all about hair mm. <laughs> i think and this brings us back to the book that we're writing on about the vikings and um the chapter on hair and Vikings yes. uh, had very distinct hairstyles, and hair was one of the ways in which their foes singled them out as different, mm. as foreign, and as ultimately fearsome, fearsome and dangerous. And we know that there's a sort of specifically Scandinavian hairstyle, and we know this from a legal code uh, very early on. Um, which refers to uh, the way in which you might save a drowned person. And you would save them if they had a Norse hairstyle, if they were washed ashore and they would receive a Christian burial. 
And the cleric Alcuin also wrote to King Athelred of Northumbria in 793, warning him against the pagan Vikings. Are not these the people whose terror threatens us, yet you want to copy their hair? So there's a sort of sense in which you in which the the vikings were identified as fearsome and could be shown uh because of their hair there was also fear that these that they were actually quite well kept mm-hmm. quite well kept and in fact that they would um they were so well kept that when they came over uh they would attract all the women <laughs> and the women would want to leave uh and run off with the vikings they this is in a an english chronicle of john of wallingford who died in 1258 and he records the coming of attractive danes in the 10th and 11th centuries who he considered and i quote caused much trouble to the natives of the land for they were wont after the fashion of their country to comb their hair every day to bathe every saturday to change their garments often and to set off their persons by many frivolous devices in this matter, they laid siege to the virtue of the married woman and persuaded the daughters, even of the noble, to be their concubines. So fear is all about Viking hair and sexual attractiveness. It's it's interesting that because it, it also, once we know what people are afraid of in history, then you know what people value. Yes. So in that respect, the fear, it's... Um, if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It's all linked to do with the kind of the fear of the other. It's the fear of being yes. invaded as well. This, this it comes back to the whole question of invasion. We did we did a podcast on invasion, didn't yes, we? Just after I done did. my series. Jack Lacan and the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's it's something different and something uncertain. So that they're, they're worried about their women running off. Yes. Um and it, so it's about it's about deep-seated insecurities that you can see throughout history in all manner of ways where you are demonizing another yeah. um whether it be whether it be Jews during the the second world war and and before that um whether it be witches yeah you know who are demonized and and in fact you know anthropologists argue that it's it, that that's about the sort of social um social concerns and anxieties within you know within uh, village society the i mean the other point about that is, is it? It um, there's a classic thing with fear, which I come across with snakes. Yes, and I have kids. Fear and phobias. The, the po- yes. Well, phobias. But no, it's the point is that the the snake is much more frightened of you than you are of it. Yes. But okay, so apply that to the. Vikings. Are you scared of snakes? Apply that to the Vikings. Is my my point? 
So if you if if you got these people saying they're afraid of the Vikings, yep. what the Vikings are attacking? So what's going on from their perspective? Or you know what are they afraid of? So they they've made this decision to sail across from Scandinavia to England. You know are they afraid of dying? One of the interesting things about Vikings is that they is that they are they've they've come to peace with dying early on, and if they die, they go to Valhalla and they 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 kind of you know it's it's, it's everything they want. Whereas it's it's very different if you read the the English sources of it. So. With yeah. fear, you've always got you've got two aspects of it. Yeah. It's like people bombing England in the, in um, or you know the 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 Battle of Britain in the summer of 1940. We're afraid of being bombed or afraid of being invaded. What are the the, the people yeah, up there? Yeah, what yeah. are they afraid of? They're afraid of so uh, of yeah. dying. They're afraid of being crippled. They're afraid of being caught. They're afraid of leaving their um, their children fatherless. Whatever it might be. But the uh, the interesting one about the woman as well. Yeah. Um, so they're afraid of their women r- being. Not running off, is it? It's a bit more subtle than that. Being they're afraid, taken, they're, yes. You no, know, but but um, they're they're afraid that the Vikings are going to be super attractive, yeah, and yeah. that it will attract attract the women. So it'd be quite interesting to ask a nice an Anglo-Saxon woman, "Are you afraid of of a Viking coming along to make you a wife?" Yeah, or not? Very I mean, what's diff- the- and and that side of history is very difficult to. To sort of come by, you talk. It's very, it's very different to like capture and rape and violence. They're they're yes. afraid that the these guys are going to turn up and be good looking and attractive. Yes, and and you know, there's no mention of the kind of the violence that we associate with with Vikings and yep. women. It's really, yep. really interesting, interesting article, though, isn't it? Yes, very. Um, staying on the Vikings, though, the Anglo-Saxon sources. Yes. So they are. There's a problem, isn't there, with 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 a lot of the Anglo-Saxon sources who describe the Vikings as being particularly violent, because they're not Christian. Yeah, I mean, it's partly it's partly um, it's partly that, but it's also the Christian Christian writers, so Alswin, for example, um, Bede, uh, and in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, it's written from a religious perspective, and they see the Vikings as a sort of an external force that is that basically represents divine punishment for all the ills yep. that as Christians they see within society. So there's an awful lot of it's a it's a a lot of these early descriptions of Vikings are Christian polemic. Mm. Um and so they they over you know, yes, of course it must have been terrifying in Lindisfarne if you know if descriptions are to be believed it must have been terrifying you know what went on um and defenseless monks being being slaughtered or whatever but nonetheless you know these are isolated events and there is a lot of hyperbole about them but if you think about it as terms of the divine punishment they're not actually just afraid of the vikings they're afraid of god yes i mean that gives you a sense of how how properly frightened they are yes yes um I've always been interested in this idea. Is, is we talked a bit about privacy? Uh, we did. We talked about privacy one. and secrecy recently. But fear is a private emotion, often. So those do or Shen, collective fear. Those Duchenne experiments we were just yes. we were talking about. They're very visible manifestations of fear. These people are absolutely terrified, and you can see it. But fear doesn't work like that. So you can look completely unterrified. You can look very confident. It might be me about to go on to talk in front of uh, you know five hundred people. I'll be bricking it. But I'll, I'll, I love an audience. I'll look. You'd be still nervous or frightened, though, wouldn't you? Be, but it's to do with with it being private. Yeah. And um, and how private do you how, how do you get at that as a historian if someone's not written about it? It's very difficult. You might um, you might capture it in you might capture that sort of private experience in oral histories, for example. So you know, there's a great 
BBC project around people's voices and World War II. Yeah. And I imagine if you searched certain um, search terms for that, if you were thinking about the Blitz, people's experience of the Blitz, I imagine at a later stage people would talk quite openly yeah. about the fear and their their experience. I imagine, you know, likewise, all sorts of atrocities, you know, you can get that. I mean, the interesting thing would be to have a, if you think about the kinds of events in history where people must have been scared, battle must be surely one of them. Yeah. And you've got this sort of, on the outside, a soldier going over the top in World War One needs to be brave and fearless and... Um, you know, in order to do his job properly. Um, but nonetheless, there's that sort of private fear and emotion inside. Where Where is that located? Is that located in Letters Home? You know, do as a, as a letter writer, do you want, if you're writing home to your family, you're writing home to your, your mum, your wife, whatever, do you want to worry them? Do you tell them that you're, you know... Yeah terrified we can often see it in a shaking hand yes in in, in shaking handwriting yes um yes. which is whether your it's anticipation of fear, it's something coming up yeah um or it's it's something that's happened it's it's the kind of the the, the post process of it and actually being able to, to deal with the fear and that happens a lot in yeah. naval, naval things as well or fear of fear of fear of ghosts and ghoulies since this is halloween fear of the su- fear of the supernatural particularly fear of the invisible because that's a that's a, of the invisible. Th- things that are invisible, you know, were terrifying. Um, that reminds me of our chapter on dust we wrote in our book. Yes. Ooh. Um, didn't someone chase down something in a sack? What was that? Oh God! Yes, that was um, cholera. Yeah, it was cholera. Yes, incredible, incredible story. So this this northern uh, Hebr- this northern Scottish uh, village, and they saw this sort of cloud of dust coming towards them. So it's a sort of miasma cloud. And they didn't it was a time when you didn't really know how disease spread. Yeah. And so basically they thought that it was it was they were cholera spores. And so this one brave individual, not fear not 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 in fear, uh, grabs a sack and goes off and and swoops it over the cloud. And then the sack starts turning yellow. Um, you know, what on earth they've got in it? I've no idea. And then they, they thought, oh my god, what's going to happen? They bury it. Yeah. And on top of it is a cholera stone. It's so, it's interesting how much of fear of the invisible actually yes is is the basis for a lot of fear. People need something tangible. They need something to understand. Yeah. Um, which of course is the very basis of history itself. It is. They need to. Um, you can't look back in the past and go well, that was important, but I don't understand it and I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, people need there's there's a real historical need to understand what happened mm. in the past. And I think people are often afraid of that. Yes. I was reading something about um, this happening in the aftermath of the uh, both the first and the second world wars. Um. And it manifested itself in a lot of interesting ways in in, in documentary making, um, in photography, is people trying to make sense of the world around them. But they'd been shocked into that by the horrors of the First World War, so many people dying, and it seemingly not no one being in charge, and no one really knew what the hell was going mm. on. And then the Second World War, um, with the Holocaust particularly, but also the scale of the war, um, and people looking to themselves and looking to the world around them in a completely new way, in a bid to understand what has just happened. Hmm. Fear of the present and fear of the past. Fear of the present and fear of the past. One of the things that struck me writing the Vikings book yeah. 
was the the supernatural in there yeah. and the kind of the living dead yeah the sort of zombie like like figures and how that connected to re- in in really interesting ways to doors <laughs> and we came across something called the cadaver door or yeah. corpse door and this is the idea that when somebody dies and they're within they're laid out within the household that um you basically don't want the living dead to be able to find their way back into the household and 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 I suppose haunt you and so what you do is you cut a door in the wall if it's a wooden house you cut a, a hole in uh, if it's a brick house you take take bricks out and then you take the you take the corpse out that way rather than through the the main threshold then they get buried and then they can't find their way back because what you've done before the funeral is over you seal up that door um you either brick it up or or you seal it up yeah and um yeah I thought that was fascinating. Corpse doors. Corpse doors are brilliant, and we've done an entire um, we've done an entire podcast on on we, we have on zombies on zombies. And it was well, on we early ones we and monsters. We hadn't done that. But the other thing was it came up in a chapter in break-ins. So the idea is that you would break into a tomb of uh, a dead warrior or whatever, and you would you would kill the dead corpse again, so to stop a to stop the the corpse coming back so you would plunge a spear or a or a or a sword into them yeah it's fascinating so it's to re-kill them and it's to um, re-kill them yeah yeah and their sagas are full of confrontations with zombies including a farmer who was plagued by a group of zombies and he decides that he's going to meet them all on the threshold of his farm by the door yeah. and stop them coming through and the entryway of, and fights them Yes. Hmm. Holds a court and then executes them. Yeah, that's sort of Halloween-y, isn't it? It's all very Halloween-y. It's just made yeah. me think of something. And I, uh, Oh, yes, that's the point. The Vikings. So they're, they're so frightened of their relationship with the gods and of things like zombies that a, a lot of... The, that is the explanation for the chucking stuff in rivers and lakes. The deposits, the depositions oh. that the Vikings do um, to appease the gods. They're so frightened of offending them that they have an entire kind of ritual world and process of keeping the gods on side and that is purely down to fear hmm. and it's it's fear of them turning on uh, turning on you which you know links us back to the the poor people at Lindisfarne you know the monks there waiting to be attacked by the vikings they're frightened of the vikings attacking and they're frightened of, of their god taking vengeance on them and then when i said you know what are you early on but what are you afraid of the vikings are af- afraid of the same thing happening and they're also they're all afraid of their god taking vengeance on them and then holding them responsible yeah which is all to do with guilt, because they know they've done something wrong. <laughs> what links? E.T., Walmart, apples, and razor blades. Vikings. No, 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 no. Halloween. <laughs> Halloween. Okay, so this is all about this is all about the reinvention of Halloween as a in this in the seventies, the the seventies and eighties. The film E.T. Yeah. Um, comes out. There's the Halloween scene, and suddenly kids have these templates for how to dress up at Halloween and and candy. I remember being, when I was born in the early 70s, um, ancient as I am, and I remember Halloween um, quite distinctly, but being quite terrified about Mm -hmm. it. And one of the stories that went around at the time was that there was this woman in the little town that I was, and she she had a a son who um, who was unhappy, 
And in order to get back on the children in the village, mm-hmm. she would put razor blades in the apples oh. so that when they'd come along, trick or treat, yeah. they would take take a bite. I'm sure it was an urban myth. But I think a lot of the, you know, for for a long time, there were no real Halloween traditions in England. No. And that it was reinvented by, you know, Hollywood and American TV as it comes over onto our screens. And Walmart, you know, companies, American companies that were basically made a fortune out of selling candy. Yeah. Um, when I lived in America, Halloween was big, big business. And I remember teaching at a university there and a colleague saying that his his kids, he would take them up to these halls of residence for students and they would not have like a little bucket but they would have pillowcases and they would go around you imagine that these these student dorms were in basically like high-rise flats and they would go around almost every door mm-hmm. knocking on the door trick-or-treating and yeah. come away literally with a giant sack right you know a meter meter by 50 centimeters worth of sack of Candy. Wow. There you go. Are you dressing up for Halloween this year? No, but that's another interesting thing because the, the, the Halloween dressing up has changed. Yes. Like, I mean, yes. I, I have a, a daughter and she was taking me through the Halloween, Halloween outfit. Sexy witch. Sexy ghost. <laughs> like, what what is, is going zom- on? Zombie nurse. Sexy, sexy zombie nurse. Zombie nurse. <laughs> corpse bride. Yeah. My, yes. Sexy corpse bride. It's, it's very weird. Do you, do you carve pumpkins? Uh, yeah, occasionally. It's not a big thing. I do it every year. Do you? Love it. <laughs> Love it. I want, I want, like to see what you do. See what your scary. I'll send you, I'll send you a photograph. Very good. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. That was our unexpected history of, uh, Halloween, which we've, we've worn all over the place there. I yes. really enjoyed that. Be careful of apples at Halloween. Be careful of apples, definitely. Um, if you've liked what you've listened to, please check out the rest of our podcast. We've got over 90. We're desperate to decide on our 100th one. Can you get in touch with suggestions, actually? Is there the a centenary. Good... Centenary. Um, we should probably do the, the unexpected Hi- history of anniversaries. History of 100. History of 100. Numbers? Or actually, just 100. Yeah, centi- yeah okay. 100. We'll do that. Um, yeah. But we're also open to suggestions if anyone wants yes, to get in touch. Yes, do let us know. Um, and uh, you can check out our book, Histories of the Unexpected. We're very proud of it. There are 30 different subjects. They all link to each other. You'll find out all sorts of things. It'll change the way you think about the past and the present. We guarantee that. And if you're lucky enough to um, uh, live somewhere near where we're doing a talk, then come and see us live. And um, we would love to see you. Uh, that's it for now. We'll see you soon. Follow us on historiesoftheunexpected.com. Yeah, and all social media through there. Excellent. Bye. Bye, guys.